Today in Science from Wired. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to sixty speed that thrills you one minute, and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com/ev9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and/or driving conditions. Always drive safely. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Here's today's spoken edition of Wired. The subtle nudges that could unhook us from our phones, by Robbie Gonzalez. Enough. It's time. You've decided to reclaim your morning commute by spending it on something substantive. No more bottomless Instagram feeds and auto-playing YouTube videos for you. So out the door you stride with that week's New Yorker wedged beneath your arm, new episode of Flash Forward playing in your ear, or the latest Jasmine Ward novel queued up on your Kindle app. So far, so substantive, but it doesn't last. You've nearly reached the bus stop when the assault on your attention begins with a notification about、uh, notifications. Check out the notifications you have on Twitter. In a more vulnerable moment, you'd have tapped the push alert reflexively, but not today. You've no way of knowing what awaits you on the other side. Experience has taught you that your Twitter notifications are occasionally about personal mentions, but they're usually about other people's activity. So you leave Schrodinger's tweet alone and motion to put your phone away, but it's too late. Before you can pocket your device, something catches your eye. Was it a Slack from your boss, one of the tiny red badges dotting the corners of your apps, or maybe a snap from your brother? You're ensnared. You spend your commute flitting from app to app, feed to feed, one notification to the next. You even catch yourself scrolling through Twitter. Turns out Wired and two others retweeted Chelsea Clinton. Next thing you know, you've arrived at work, your Kindle app unopened, your podcast unlistened to, your long read unread. Scenarios like this one contribute to the growing sense among tech critics, policymakers, and the public that technology companies hold too much sway over attention, well-being, and our very democracy. Even as they disagree over the extent to which tech giants have overstepped, to some our phones and apps are little more than a distraction. To others, they're nothing short of an existential threat. But the vast majority of critics and more and more companies agree. People could use help deciding where to place their attention to ensure that their time with technology is, to borrow an increasingly fashionable phrase, time well spent. And make no mistake, we users do need help, and that help can take a form that's subtle and effective. It is tempting to blame our failure to resist our phones, apps, and feeds on a lack of self-control. As with so many things in life, the recipe for a healthy relationship with technology seems to boil down to a command of one's impulses. But how you use your phone and the apps on it is ultimately about decisions, and decisions hinge on more than self-control. 
They're also informed by rational and irrational judgments, subconscious biases, and information gaps, among other factors, all of which contribute to a quirk of human behavior that has long fascinated psychologists, philosophers, and economists. People will often make a decision at one point in time that becomes inconsistent or works against their apparent interests at a later point in time. Behavioral economists have a name for the tension between our present and future selves. They call it time inconsistency. It colors countless human decisions, from the trivial to the momentous. Eat that cookie or stick to your diet. Put a chunk of your paycheck toward a new outfit or your 401k. Just think, how often has your preference in the moment, say for a delicious snack or a nice jacket, come to contradict your later preference, for a flatter stomach or a more robust retirement fund? This tension now defines many people's relationships with their phones as well. Science it doesn't have a definitive answer about the effect technology is having on our brains or on society, but evidence does suggest that the ways in which we use our devices on a minute-to-minute -minute basis often contradict how we wish we'd use them or didn't. When Moment, an app that helps people track their screen time, asked 200,000 of its users to rate the ways they engage with their phones, apps like Facebook, Reddit, Instagram, and Snapchat fared notably worse than those like Google Calendar, Headspace, and MyFitnessPal. The latter left people feeling happy, while the former had the opposite effect. And yet, with few exceptions, survey respondents spent much more time in apps they later regretted spending so much time on. The survey reveals what many of us know intuitively. The way we use our phones is not time consistent. Today, through default settings like push notifications and auto-playing videos, tech companies like Google and Facebook take advantage of this time inconsistency. They exploit our tendency to procrastinate and our susceptibility to inertia to grab our attention, and no matter how it makes us feel. But our susceptibilities also make us receptive to something Harvard legal scholar Cass Sustein calls libertarian paternalism, a term he coined with Nobel Prize-winning economist Richard Thaler to describe nudges by which institutions help people make better choices, as judged by themselves, while preserving their freedom to make those choices at as low a cost as possible. A hallmark example? Employers that automatically enroll their workers in tax-deferred retirement plans while allowing them to opt out dramatically improve the contribution rates of their employees. The question for tech giants, Sustein says, is not whether they should engage in libertarian paternalism, but the ends to which they do so. For companies like Facebook and Apple, there is a pressing need for a lot more thought on the goals of choice architecture, he says. Once we specify the goals, we can identify an assortment of freedom-preserving tools, such as reminders and warnings, that can help users. Policymakers, designers, and former employees from the likes of Google and Facebook have begun to imagine what those tools might look like. One suggestion? Companies could use their stockpiles of personalized information to detect and notify users who are spending more time than they'd like on their platforms, or even identify risky behavior. If you're an alcohol manufacturer, you have no way of knowing who's abusing your product, says Nir Ayal, author of Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. But if you're a tech company, you can actually reach out and say, hey, you might have a predisposition for technology addiction. In an essay titled Choice Making and the Interface, social scientist Joy Edelman proposes alternative interfaces that would give users more nuanced, upfront choices about how to spend their time and the way they'll spend it on one choice or another. 
Typing Facebook into your address bar, for example, might prompt you to select whether you intend to visit for a quick break, easy reading, or to organize an event. The proposed interface would also show you how well these uses of Facebook had panned out for people who selected them in the past. In order to display these kinds of cues, we'd need to build giant databases about people, about their choices, and about the outcomes of those choices, Edelman writes. Compiling such a database might seem unfeasible were it not for Facebook's more than decade-long practice of polling users on everything from their satisfaction with the platform to how trustworthy they find the sources in their news feeds. A survey from February went so far as to ask users whether they agreed or disagreed that Facebook is good for the world. But to be good for the world, Facebook and other tech giants first have to be good for us. Your Technology and You and if you'd like information on these items, go to the original article and follow the links. Wired's editor-in-chief Nick Thompson spoke with Tristan Harris, the prophet behind the time-well-spent movement that argues our minds are being hijacked by the technology we use. Though it's worth questioning whether science actually supports the concept of tech addiction at all. Whether you believe in addiction or not, the right tech can help us form new, better digital habits like these. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.